This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast from AllComic.com, episode 58. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lamroyasha, and today we don't have a topic to talk about, but we have lots of news to discuss. It's another news show this week, and there are a lot of discussion topics we have. We don't have a series to talk about, but there is a lot that's been happening in the manga world that is worth talking about, so that is the plan for the show this week. Mm, So hopefully it'll be an actually kind of short episode. Yeah, I mean, if it's too short, maybe we'll talk about Pokemon because I've been watching the Twitch stream where they're planning to go through like the least the first nine seasons over the next two months. Damn. And yeah, you know, it's uh, it's been fun times rewatching Pokemon. Well, I guess we'll just have to see what happens. Um, but I guess we. It's must- probably not going to happen. But <laughs> <laughs> well, check out that Twitch stream. It, it's pretty great revisiting Pokemon. Hmm. Um, but we might as well just jump right on in with some serialization news. Um, so, unfortunately, in the 38th issue of Weekly Shonen Jump, it seems that Haruto Ikezawa's Noah's Notes manga has ended. Uh, so, I think, uh, what, what was it? So, the manga started in March 12th. So, I'm trying to see how many chapters that would have been. Um, I think it's a a little over i think it's almost 20 probably hmm, okay well that's you know that's not terrible i guess um that's a shame from from what i had been hearing about the series past its like jumpstart run in the um invis's jump like i guess it turned into a battle manga pretty quickly <laughs> which um i guess it just didn't really uh strike a nut with readers unfortunately which is a shame because uh like you know, we talked about it on the show before, but, like, I really enjoyed it, and I thought it had a lot of potential, and I really wanted to see it keep going, but, you know, there were other people who weren't, like, super into it, and, you know, I could, I could kind of understand that, but, you know, it, it makes me sad that this series had to end so soon, um, but, I mean, from what it sounds like, um, I don't know if Ikizawa, you know, he probably didn't, like, run out of ideas, but, like, you know, if it turned into a battle manga as quickly as people have been saying it is, like, you know, that's probably because, you know, again, it just it just wasn't grabbing the attention of readers. And, you know, as we learned in Bakuman uh, last episode, you know, if your series is just going down the tubes, you might as well just make it a battle manga because that's just the solution for everything. Yeah, it's unfortunate because I like Haruto Ikizawa's works. I like Mononofu and I like Noah's Oaths, but sadly, this was not a hit for him. This wasn't his My Hero Academia. And hopefully he gets another chance to, you know, find what his MHA will be and have a good hit and jump. But, uh, yep, that, that's that's over and it's sad, but I guess we'll just have to move on. Yep. I mean, it's not the only thing that's ending, is it? Though, in this case, the next series uh, that we're talking about, that ending, had a lengthy run and seems to be ending on its own terms. Yeah, so apparently, uh, Akamega Kill Zero, uh, Zero being a prequel manga, apparently uh, the ninth volume of Zero uh, revealed that uh, the series will be ending in its tenth volume. Uh, so there you go. I haven't had much experience with a comic kill. I've like I know I mentioned on the show before that like I would I'd probably check out the manga because I hear it's uh <laughs> I hear it's pretty trashy but it's pretty fun. Um, and you know for fans of uh, a comic kill, you know Zero's ending, but uh, maybe we'll get more a comic kill in the future. I don't know. I don't know how much uh, <laughs> I don't know how much there is to mine in the in the lore of uh, a comic kill in particular. <laughs> I think that they made a sequel to Akamega Kill, like at least a spiritual sequel, like Kei Choru's manga after it had Akame in it, so I don't know what's the deal about that. I have had limited exposure with Akamega Kill, but I didn't quite enjoy what I've seen of it, but I know Wee Lord has a love-hate relationship <laughs> with the series. I don't know if he's read Akamega Kill Zero, but... Hey, if we ever do talk about this series, I know uh, We Lord will love to come on and uh, <laughs> complain about it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, hey, this prequel manga outlasted the main series for about two years. So, hey, it uh, had a healthy run. And yeah, uh, if you 
wanted to know the end of this prequel manga story, yeah, now you have a full conclusion to it. I mean, it's like about as long as the original. Like the original was 15 volumes, this is 10 volumes, so it's like two-thirds the length. So you got a lot of Akamika Kill to read if you want to get into it. But speaking of spinoffs, it was recently announced that Citrus is getting a new spinoff called Citrus Plus This Winter. There isn't a whole lot of information about what this spinoff will be about. I'm assuming that it'll either feature characters from the original Citrus and a new story, or it'll take place in the same setting, uh, but not necessarily directly connect to the previous series, but it'll be spiritual successor in the sense that it's like a similar story in the same setting. It's like Boys Over Flowers Season 2 or whatever. So if you're a fan of Citrus, uh, yeah, you have more of it to look forward to from Saburota. And we are also going to talk about something that we've mentioned before on the show and that we've taken note of is the cancellation of quite a large number of manga magazines this year. It was recently reported by Sankei News that 12 manga magazines have ceased publication so far in 2018 due to low circulation numbers and the proliferation of smartphones with new ways to read manga. This year is the highest number of manga cancellations since 2014. Mm, wow. And in 2014, 14 magazines ceased publication in the first half of that year, and 36 ceased publication in total. So now we're having a huge purge again of manga magazines this year. And there were some big ones that got canceled this year that ended publication, like Hana to Yume, uh, Yo Magazine, Young Animal Arashi, Monthly Comic Birds. Like, these were big magazines that just closed their print publications down. So it's been theorized by publishing professor Yashio Uemura that the increasing availability of apps for reading manga for free and the support for vertical scrolling uh, and the number of children who do not know how to read magazines increases and that is causing the decline of print magazines. But on the other hand, researcher Kyohei Shibata noted that there are some magazines using creative methods to increase sales, like Shonen Sunday S, which is doing very well because both its June-July issues sold out and they had reprints. And perhaps a contributing factor to their success is that both of those issues featured Toru Amuro from Detective Conan on the cover and bundled goods relating to the character. So it appears that, like, character-based marketing uh still works like if if you identify the niche and the popularity and sell consumer goods built around that uh, cult of personality basically mm -hmm. but tetsudo kusaikai uh, the company that stocks magazines and kiosk scores at jr stations in japan also announced that it is ceasing magazine distribution business because earnings in this sector were only a tenth of its earnings during the industry's peak. And so now Tohan, another company, is taking over the magazine distribution. So this also seems like a pretty big blow in terms of magazine distribution across Japan. But, yeah, I mean, we've mentioned before, we've reported on the cancellations of several magazines as they've happened throughout the year, but... The number of uh, 12 magazines ending so far in 2018 is pretty significant, especially since, as we mentioned, there were big names among these canceled magazines. So I really feel that we could really see the end of this era of print magazines. I think that, like many of the researchers have noted, the industry trend is moving towards digital. That's where the audience and the consumers are. And that's how people more and more are reading their manga these days. So print is a dwindling medium, not necessarily a dying medium. I don't think that there will ever not be a market for print books, but digital is overtaking it. And the magazine system of having like a magazine where you have multiple series serialized in it, 
I think that could be going away in terms of the large scale. Like, I think we'll always have stuff like Shonen Jump, but I can imagine that a new model would be online sites where you have, like, the multiple series on there, but you can just choose the individual series you want to read, and you don't necessarily have a product that is bundled with all these series that you are getting in, like, one book or, like, one purchase, but you're reading the individual series, like per chapter or however you want to consume it. I think that's the model that we're going to be seeing more and more of. But it's a very interesting topic. I think we're seeing some big changes. And I'm curious to see like where this will lead in the future. Like what other magazines we might see close its doors and how this is going to dramatically change the manga industry. Manga magazines have been such an integral part of manga culture in japan for so long so if this is basically going to be the last hurrah for the grand majority of them beyond perhaps like the big three mainstream magazines like shonen jump and stuff uh it'll be interesting to see like how the manga reading experience and like how manga are distributed and serialized uh is how that's going to look like in the future. Like what the new trend, the prevailing trend will be. So very interesting stuff. Yeah. But in related to manga industry news, we are going to now get into some pretty heavy and, and very depressing topics. Like manga magazines ending, that is a very kind of melancholy note. But now we need to talk about some really important stuff like that affects individual people and it's a systemic problem that really needs to be addressed and that's one subject we're going to talk about is sexism in the manga industry last week when we discussed uh, bakuman we noted that a lot of the depictions of sexism and sexual harassment within the workplace of manga uh studios and publishers was unchallenged by that manga and just accepted and dismissed and that rubbed us wrong and we're seeing now some stories come out of manga creators speaking out about sexism in the manga industry and how they've been treated you know by their editors and employers We'll start off talking about the mangaka of NTR Netsuzo Trap, Naoko Kodama, who recently shared a personal story on her Twitter about a sexist encounter with a male manga editor. According to a Kodama, her editor told her that female characters can't truly draw interesting manga after all, can they? And even though Kodama reiterated there are a lot of great works uh, drawn by a female manga, like that editor was very uh, dismissive and uh disparaging i was gonna say like d- does he not know that like full metal alchemist exists blue exorcist i mean clearly he has not heard of the works of rumiko takahashi uh one of the m- wealthiest and most popular mangaka of all time but no they they can't they can't draw manga at all like nobody likes them mm-hmm Jeez. So Kodama shared this story in light of the recent news that, you know, this is another important topic, that Tokyo Medical University lowered the entrance exam scores of female applicants uh, since 2011. Like, wow, they interfered. They they changed their scores just so they can justify enrolling more male students than female students, even though the female students were more qualified. And Kodama's story is an example of how female creators are being put down and belittled by male editors, like people who hold positions of power within the industry. And what's even more bizarre and infuriating about the discussion Kodama had with this editor is that uh, the editor wanted to wanted Kodama to introduce him to another female creator who he wanted to hire to write for a new manga magazine he was editing and that editor met with kadama because kanama was the friend of that creator and so it's so odd like he wanted to hire a female manga creator for his new magazine but he put down and 
diminish the talents of female creators as a whole. Like, it's just such appalling sexism. Just, like, abusive in the way that, like, they're taking advantage of, like, the labor of female creators and not giving them the credit and respect that they deserve. Mm Mm-hmm. And so Kadama reiterated that this was not her editor. She has never worked with him, only met him once. And he was in charge of a male-oriented magazine. But he wanted to expand to get more female readers, which is, you know, again, even more more damning of this male editor. That he wanted to expand the audience of female readers, but he, like, thinks that female creators can't draw interesting work. He is trying to enlist a female creator to appeal to more female readers so it's just a whole bunch of nonsense and so uh yuko otsuki also chimed in on this story uh she is the creator of galaxy angel and tante opera milky homes uh and she shared this incident with her husband who is a creator of uh chichan's menu uh masakazu oi and uh her husband replied, he's just an idiot, so calling that guy an editor is an insult to other editors. So, yeah. there's, like, support for, uh, you, know, you know, there is, like, people standing in solidarity for these creators and how they're being mistreated, which is good. But, again, the, we're seeing a lot of stories like this come out recently. Uh, there was a recent article from, like, video game artist Hiroko Yokoyama, who wrote about how she and other female employees were denied opportunities to expand their skill set you know to have career advancement due to stereotypes that they would leave the workplace after getting married or having children and then on another uh mangaka sexism story uh ato sakurai the creator of today's cerebris revealed that you know she previously worked under a more gender ambiguous pen name because her editor at the time told her to use a gender neutral pen name because it's quote-unquote off-putting for women to draw boys' manga. Again, as we mentioned before, there are so many prominent women who have written shonen and seinen manga, some of the most popular shonen and seinen manga of all time. So this is absolutely ridiculous, what this editor said to her. And, like, again, it's just completely awful, like, that the sexism can go unchallenged, that there's, like, no one that these creators could, like, you know, turn to to report and to, like, seek change to get these kind of people out of the system and, like, not in positions of power where they, you know, have control over artists, you know. And it's also just, again, this kind of... It just reveals, like, this everyday sexism that female creators have to deal with that needs, you know, the change because they deserve respect. And they don't deserve to be belittled, to be, you know, mistreated this way and get away with it. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's all just shitty all around. Like, I can't, I I can't believe some of the things that these guys say, like, I don't, I don't know. It's completely tone deaf to the industry that they're in. I don't know how they can say things like these, even though, like, the evidence that what they're saying is just flat out wrong is all against them, all around them. Like, are they living under a rock? Do they not know the history of the industry they are working in? Like, it's insanity. Yeah, I I don't know. this is prevalent. These are just some stories that are now recently coming to light. But this has been systemic for a long time. And it's been going on challenge for a long time. But now, you know, we are seeing, like, the Me Too movement, you know hit japan i think it's called something different over there but like hopefully this can we can see like real change in how female creators are being treated in the workplace in japan but yeah that was an important story to talk about this uh is a subject that deserves more time to talk about uh and hopefully a podcast devoted to it later but uh that's something we should definitely do down the line but yeah, at some for point. now we can move on to other sorts of, and other, you know, very depressing stories about the manga industry. And 
just the systemic mistreatment of artists in the industry. Uh, let's talk about erotic manga artist uh, Ken Beef and their circumstances recently. And a uh, recent string of tweets, like, you know, they express suicidal thoughts and depressed thoughts because... Basically, they are being very poorly paid for the work that they're doing. Only 80,000 yen a month, uh, which is $719 a month. And the editorial department they work for is not going to pay them anything, even after rejecting 200 pages of storyboards. So he labored over 200 pages of storyboards, and they won't pay for that time or those pages because they rejected them. And he just further discussed, like, unreasonable demands for the comic market and uh, what editors are imposing on artists. Like, they mentioned that uh, they're being paid 7,000 yen per page every other month. So, not even every month. And artists can't live on such low pay. And they can't work for another uh, company and they are belittled and saying that they're not good enough, uh, popular enough to work for another company. So they're basically like bullying them into staying with the publisher. And yeah, so this story is showing just how uh, the industry abuses artists, you know, and tries to keep them doing work and exploiting them for their work while keeping their living conditions very barely livable like they can barely get by and these abusive comments are super damaging to their mental health and well-being but again it's an exploitative practice they're just trying to profit off the work and they don't care about the health of the artist so we've seen you know we know that there are change happening in other areas of the industry like some publishers are paying a lot more attention to the health of their artists and prioritize that above all else that's like showasia that's what they've been doing with many authors in jump and letting them take breaks and adjust their schedules to you know keep them healthy but like there's still a lot of companies in japan that are just exploiting their artists and keeping them trapped in a system where they can't escape from otherwise they're so dependent on it they can't leave but staying in the system is like actively killing them. And it's just something that needs to be addressed and changed. We discussed a story a couple months ago about how assistants are not paid royalties or paid for overtime. And so this is another extension of that story about exploiting artists for their labor and not compensating them. Yeah, unfortunately. Well, we have more depressing news to talk about. And this is not a industry like, oh, a probably industry kind of story. Uh, this is, well, this is just as sad, but in a different way, because a very influential acclaimed mangaka has recently passed away at a very early age. Uh, yeah, so unfortunately, uh, Momoko Sakura, the creator of Chibi Maruko-chan, which was a uh, a shoujo manga that ran in Ribbon Magazine, published by Shueisha from... Uh, 1986 to 1996 and uh has a i believe a currently running anime series that i think recently just passed it's like uh, recently is in like the past like year or two i think like past its 1000th episode and is the second most watched tv anime in japan unfortunately has uh passed away at the age of 53 this august 15th due to breast cancer and so you know, I, I've never watched uh, Maruko-chan in particular. Like, I had always seen it around, and I kind of knew of it. It's it's kind of up there with, like, you know, other, like, family shows like uh, like Sazai-san and uh, Shin-chan and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, I don't know. Like, even if I didn't really have much experience with Sakura's works myself, it's still really sad to see such a, such a prolific creator taken away from us. Um, it's just sad all around. This was a very culturally important series in Japan. Again, it's a long-running anime series that still is ongoing, still is watched by, by many families. So the work that Mokosaka created, you know, has left a really strong legacy, even if uh, those of us, you know, outside Japan who, do not, who have not had access to 
Shibu Moraku can, you know, even if we haven't experienced it, you know, we can definitely see just by its legacy and its reputation, which is that it was, it is an important work and she was an important creator for creating something that has inspired multiple generations of children and has been a cornerstone of family entertainment for many years. And it is always so tragic to lose a creator at such a young age and due to uh, diseases like cancer. And, you know, it's just a really disheartening story and sad story. Yeah. Uh, I definitely want to check out Chibi Moruko-chan. I hope that one day it'll be available in official capacity. Until then, I know that there has been a group that has been subbing the series from the beginning for a little while now and i've always been interested in checking it out more so i hope that we see one day like an official release of the series over here in the west but in general i'm just very sad to see such a influential creator pass away uh but i guess we'll uh we'll move on from Unfortunately, some depressing industry news to uh, some other miscellaneous pieces, if you want to take the first one. Yeah, now we're going to be talking about more anime and film adaptation related news. So the first thing we'll talk about is that the Dororo anime remake is coming this October. Oh, this isn't the anime remake. But basically, like, the manga of Dororo is getting a remake called The Legend of Dororo and Hiyakimaru. That's going to launch in the December issue of Monthly Champion Red on October 19th. It's going to be drawn by Satoshi Shiki and uh, the current issue of Monthly Champion Red has a 15-page preview of the manga. So this is basically coinciding with the announced like Doro anime remake that is uh, upcoming. And yeah... uh, that's something to look forward to. I enjoy Dororo, the original manga by Osama Tezuka. So, like, hopefully this manga remake and the upcoming anime remake uh, turn out well. So, in uh, the 40th issue of Weekly Shonen Jump, it was apparently announced that uh, Haikyuu is inspiring a clay animated project that will be screening at the Jump Special Anime Festa uh, 2018 event this year. Um, so that's a really cool new kind of interesting thing to see. Um, I was, uh, I was telling Sid off mic that, uh, you know, as cool as that sounds like, unfortunately, like, like, I don't know, for, for some reason my mind went to robot chicken. So I, so I just imagine like, I imagine like a robot chicken, like parody sketch of Haikyuu and like how that would be like, uh, <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be the first time they did a sketch about anime. Yeah, I've seen a lot of those these days. Yeah, I think I, one of the recent ones I saw had a Dragon Ball Z one where, like, they arrested Piccolo for child abuse. That was pretty <laughs> fun. But no, yeah, this this sounds really cool, and I like. I'm actually really interested in like seeing this, and uh, I'm I'm really interested in like how this is going to turn out, and maybe it'll hopefully like lead the way for more stuff like this. Yeah, I think it's interesting, you know, to play with the style. I like seeing. Uh, I just like seeing them play with, you know, different style, animation styles. So I'm really curious to see how a uh, stop-motion claymation IQ will turn out. And I hope we get it over here, like that Crunchyroll picks it up or something. I remember uh, they picked up that Gintama Jump Festa short like a long time ago, like the Food Wars parody one. So, you know, maybe they can uh, pick up this IQ claymation short if there's enough interest. But, uh, yeah, so th- th- that'll be interesting to see when that comes out. But, uh uh, let's see, the next up, uh, so I haven't gotten the chance to watch the second season of Psyche K because the, the first half of season two is on Netflix over here in North America, but I'm I'm kind of holding out until the second half comes out, which unfortunately at the time of this recording, it hasn't come out, but hopefully it'll come out like before the end of the year, hopefully. Um, but apparently at the end of season two, the show kind of teased that, uh, there'd be more anime coming up. And I guess, again, in the 40th issue of, of Jump, uh, it was confirmed that uh, Psyche Kusuo will be getting a new anime that will conclude the series. Uh, now, unfortunately, we don't have any information as to whether that means it'll get another 12-episode season or it'll, it'll maybe be an OVA or a movie. Um, 
they haven't really made any like specifications as to like what this will be but um and i mean i don't really know how much left the anime has to cover because i i just i don't really have a frame of reference for that unfortunately but um i just kind of assume it'll be another tv anime but maybe it could be a movie i'm i'm not entirely sure yeah i'm interested to see if this will be a movie or a show and I'm very happy that they are adapting the end of Psyche K because the manga is over. So normally you wouldn't see a new anime project for a finished manga. They usually make these while it's still going. And if they are adapted to the end, like they usually are running at the same time as the manga. And so they coordinate the ending to end just a little after the manga ends. That's been the trend these days. So... It's nice that even though the manga of Psyche K is over, that they still have decided to greenlit a new anime project, one to conclude and finish adapting the series. That's pretty rare these days, and I'm pretty happy that, you know, for series like Psyche K, which is not, you know, it's not fairy tale. They're doing that for fairy tale that's getting a final season this October, but fairy tale's like such a big property, but I, I wouldn't think of Psyche K's along that same scale, but hey, there's demand and there was interest, so I'm very happy. I'm glad that all of the manga is going to get adapted since we might not get, uh, the manga over here anytime soon but we can at least consume most if not all the series through the anime and uh, now we have some uh, movie news that i'm sure you're very excited about colton so uh apparently the hollywood reporter uh reported in an article about uh netflix movies and uh apparently uh in that article it was revealed that netflix is developing a sequel to its live action death note movie you know, the sequel that I'm sure... Well, I mean, to be fair, there apparently there are some people who are excited about it. And, you know, that's fine. Like, if... You know, there are people who actually enjoyed the movie, and I can understand why. But, I mean, like, I I don't know if I can sit through another <laughs> live-action adaptation of Death Note. Especially not a Netflix one. Um, but, apparently, Greg Russo, who apparently is uh, the writer of upcoming adaptations for Mortal Kombat and Resident Evil is going to be penning the script. And uh, apparently the article also noted that uh, Netflix chief content officer Ted Sarandos called the 2017 Death Note film a sizable success. So that tells me that there were a mix of people who liked it and people who probably watched it ironically. And this is what happens when people watch things ironically. We get more of that thing. <laughs> we were part of the problem. I mean, we yeah. watched it. <laughs> we watched it knowing we probably wouldn't like it. And we made a review of it. But uh, yeah, so so we contributed to the problem, unfortunately, but merely by watching it, merely by being one of the numbers. Huh. But, uh, you know, it's not like necessarily a bad thing, you know, making another movie. It's it's like, oh, cool. Another thing to kind of watch and either make fun of or be surprised at uh, how good slash bad it is. Huh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if we'll do another podcast on it or not. <laughs> I don't want to hold us to anything, but I mean... I don't know. I'll probably watch it. Maybe. I don't know. I feel like the first movie was enough for me. I mean, if it's on Netflix and it's it's just there, I might watch it. I don't know. I mean, there's certainly a live-action anime-based movie coming to Netflix that I am looking forward to. And that's coming on September 14. It's the Bleach live-action film. It had limited uh, theatrical screenings here in the U.S. back in July. And now it's going to be coming to Netflix. I heard it was not a very successful film in Japan financially. But based on everything that I've seen from the trailers, I am qu still quite interested in it and how it adapts its story. Apparently it leaves itself open for a sequel, which I personally feel is a bad call. I feel like you should tell a self-contained story. I think this was might have been one of the problems with the Jojo live action film too, is that they, they try to hint too much at future story and that leaves the ending of the movie unsatisfying. But, you know, I'll watch it for myself and see. It seems that it does focus pretty well on the core elements of the subsequent Shunigami arc and, you know, just adds in some things that happen at the end of the arc anyway, you know, the fight with Byakuya and Renji and Mugia being taken back to Soul Society. So that's pretty fair enough. Uh, I'm yeah I'm looking forward to it because it just seems like it's 
well made as an adaptation of Bleach. You know, I, the special effects look pretty good in it. So yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to that and uh, crossing my fingers that it turns out to be a winner and not another uh, Full Metal Alchemist live action movie, which I uh, still haven't seen, but I have heard all the uh, complaints about. Yeah, I'm really interested in checking out uh, this Bleach movie, actually. Um, you know, as, as much as I like, as much as I kind of like fell out of Bleach, like a live action movie really doesn't look that bad. And I mean, from what I hear, like, you know, I think I think it got an encore at like whatever film festival it was airing at. So I mean, it. I'm I'm assuming it's pretty good. Here's hoping. But now there's a live action anime adaptation we have to talk about that may never happen, that we were excited for, but it may never happen. Yeah, so unfortunately, because it was it was announced a little while ago that uh, we'd be getting a Tiger and Bunny live action movie from uh, Global Road Entertainment. Uh, but uh, like Sid said, that may not happen because it was reported recently from Screen Daily and The Hollywood Reporter that Global Road Entertainment is now under the control of lenders. And uh, yeah, apparently so. It's been repossessed by the banks, I guess. And uh, though it's weird because um, it seems like employees were informed of this. Uh, they were they were informed of this development on a Tuesday, uh, but they weren't like told the names of the banks that control the that control the studio. Like I, it seems like the carpet was just kind of like pulled out from under them a little bit. Though there haven't been any like layoffs reportedly, um, the lenders have an option to sell or extend more credit to the company or declare bankruptcy at this point. So again, um, there's a real chance that unfortunately, uh, this movie actually may not happen. And that, that really makes me sad because, uh, the, the people behind this movie, uh, seem pretty confident in the project. So, you know, it, it, like as somebody who is usually very wary of live action anime, movies or whatnot like i was actually kind of excited to see a live action tiger and bunny but yeah unfortunately there's a, there's a good chance it may not happen but nothing's been confirmed yet um and so uh i guess we'll just have to wait for more developments yeah i hope this movie still gets made it's a real shame if this project gets kaput because the studio closed down i forget what is the movie that global road released recently that it has probably contributed to them getting tanked here. I heard about, like, they've been having some pretty poor box office with their films recently. Oh, yeah. Axel, the freaking dog movie. <laughs> the the robot dog movie that just came out. Yeah. Oh, Show Dogs. Uh, <laughs> Hotel Arnold. Yeah, they've had some real stinkers recently. Mm. So that's unfortunate. So I, I guess it's no wonder. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Wow, that's <laughs> yeah. Well, okay then. Um, but uh, I mean, I, I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping for the best, just because I really want to see this live action movie actually like get made. But I mean, I don't know. We'll just have I to mean, see. Maybe it's for the best, considering this production company's track record. Like uh, maybe the, I, I the st- nut job. <laughs> Look, maybe, but I, I still would have liked to see it get made. I at least would have liked to see what they had. Yeah, it's a shame. Hmm. But speaking of movies that I am looking forward to seeing, I'm looking forward to seeing Perfect Blue when it gets theatrical screenings later this week, or probably already by the time you're listening to it, I'll have seen it. And that's great because that's the last Satoshi Kon film I have yet to see. The last thing with Satoshi Kon's I have yet to see. And I'm feeling a little bittersweet about that because on the one hand, I'm looking forward to seeing the movie. On the other hand, after I see it, that's it for a cone film, all the cone films. So I won't have any more cone films to watch in the future. I mean, I can rewatch them, but I have not any that I haven't experienced yet. Unless they actually make an anime adaptation of Satoshi Kon's opus, which Masao Mariyama has recently reported at the Hiroshima International Animation Festival that a script is indeed being written for an anime adaptation for Satoshi Kon's opus manga. Now, Mariyama has not stated if the project has actually been greenlit or if there's a staff or studio involved yet, but... This project is underway in early stages. So that is as close as we might get to another work of cones, another film of cones. So I am looking forward to seeing if that, you know, 
actually manifests. Especially since Cohen's unfinished stone dreaming machine will probably remain uncompleted unreleased for all time. But we might get an opus anime film, and that is something to kind of cross your fingers for. But now, moving on from film news, let's talk about uh, some fu- a fun story before we end off another you know, big story, big industry story. So uh, recently, we found a clash of Conans because apparently Conan O'Brien found out that Detective Conan is a thing. Somehow, in 25 years, he had not come across Detective Conan, even though he did a Cowboy Bebop parody back in 2004, apparently. Well, it's not the first time that Conan has been mentioned on uh, on a Conan O'Brien talk show, because... Uh, uh, he he had a one of his friends had a segment where like he basically just made rants on an armchair, and what he was ranting about specifically was that um like at the time you know when uh, Detective Conan was actually on Adult Swim that um I guess apparently the the guy uh in charge of the segment like he talked about how he really liked Cowboy Bebop but I guess at the time like uh, Detective Conan or Case Closed as it's known here in the West like basically took its time slot. But there is no no comparison drawn between Conan the character and Conan O'Brien. No, no, yeah. The, that I mean, I was just saying that like it wasn't a Cowboy Bebop parody so much as uh, the guy was ranting about uh, Case Close in general taking over Cowboy Bebop's slot. Yeah, it was a skit. I misspoke. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Conan O'Brien thinks that Conan Edogawa is a ripoff of him. And not Conan Doyle and uh, Edogawa Rampo. So he's like, oh, Goshoyama, I need royalties from you because you have been ripping me off. So he's like, uh, g- give me three trillion yen, $27 billion in royalties. And so uh, he announced his plans to head to Hokuen Totori Prefecture, which is the birthplace of Goshoyama, which is also colloquially known as Conan Town. And uh, so the mayor of Hokue responded to Conan's demands and to change parts of Conan town. Like one of Conan's demands, aside from the royalties, is to change the Conan statue in Hokue to a statue of him. Basically, like it's the Conan statue, but put Conan's hair, Conan O'Brien's hair on it, which is ridiculous photoshop thing he did but yeah so basically uh akio matsumoto the mayor he responded to conan's request and said that oh sure he'll ref- fulfill the request so long as o'brien puts him on around much more gives him a walk of fame brings fifteen thousand hamburgers with him so you know meeting a ridiculous uh demand with another ridiculous demand but conan is playing along and he's gonna call matsumoto on the bluff and next week he's gonna apparently show up in hokuway to claim his money so this has been a fun little fictional feud. It's kind of nice to see Detective Conan discussed on uh, national US TV just randomly. So yeah, uh, we'll see the conclusion of the Conan Town saga. I guess we might already have it by the time you're listening to it, but it's, it's a fun thing. Uh, it's kind of nice. And speaking of ridiculous amounts of money let's talk about a recent debate that's been happening over twitter about the the best ways to support the anime industry and whether sites like crunchyroll are effective ways to support the anime industry of course this was all inspired basically off of uh, Crunchyroll's announcement, or rather Elation Studios' announcement of a new division for original animated content, announcing their new show, High Guardian Spice, that they are developing. And, you know, there's some controversies over High Guardian Spice that are very misled by people are misled or like misguided in their criticisms. They're like, oh, you're putting your, the anime you're earning into this. And it's the money you're earning into this instead of, like, supporting anime, which is not really a firm understanding of where the money Crunchyroll is going, where that really goes. Like, like Crunchyroll pays a lot of royalties and a lot for, like, the upfront costs for the shows they stream. And 
as an article by uh, Justin Zavakis, you know, points out, you know, the advanced payments they pay for anime rights for per episode costs can be enough sometimes to cover the cost of an entire production. So Crunchyroll is doing its part pretty well. And of course, Crunchyroll gets a income. It, it pro- gets a profit. And in those profits that Crunchyroll receives, it can choose to invest in, you know, whatever it wants. And often Crunchyroll is investing back into anime but it also makes sense, you know, and who knows if this is Crunchyroll, the company's decision, or Elation, the company that owns Crunchyroll's decision, to invest in original content. But generally, with any media company, you would expect them to venture out into original content because that gives them, you know, their own IPs to promote and market and stuff. So it's like Netflix, you know, Netflix acquired so much content and it profited off of that. And then it had enough revenue and income to finance and produce its own content. And that's kind of what we're seeing with Crunchyroll now. And that's kind of a sign that Crunchyroll has grown pretty big and that it can sustain, you know, its own original content. And in general, having another platform, another place that is you know, making original anime content, it's only good for the international anime industry in general, the international animation industry. So it's like a very myopic, very misguided kind of view of like that this is taking away revenue from anime production when really this is kind of just distributing it and like creating more opportunities for artists in general internationally to you know get involved in productions and stuff Uh, and in general that also and you know it also helps the you know u.s animation industry you know this is again another you know cool project another project to work on another company that is investing in original projects that gives more opportunity to artists and animators you know it's a competitive field there are are, there's always like a struggle to find jobs and stuff so this is a good thing in my opinion uh, and then, of course, there's a bunch of misogynistic complaints because, you know, the it's the show is promoted as being by having an all-female writing staff. And the, the trailer is all about how, like, they have a 50% female staff and all-female writing staff. And so a lot of people have misogynistic complaints that they're like, you know, which are, like, completely irrational and not really worth giving the time of day because they're so transparently misogynistic. But, you know, this, that whole d- debate debacle is its own issue. Uh, but what it led to, of course, is that uh, YouTuber Digibro made a video, you know, exploiting the con- the controversy over a high guardian spice to just rant about what he doesn't like about Crunchyroll. And one of the things he brought up was like, that Crunchyroll is not putting enough resources into anime, or it was, it's ineffectively supporting the anime industry. Though, of course, DJ Bro says he doesn't care about supporting the anime industry, but just the artists he likes. So it's, it's like, you know. But anyway, the point is, is that this led to a discussion of like how the Crunchyroll and streaming sites support the anime industry and like what could be done to get away from the current system that relies on, you know, the committees and uh, studio and like, and basically a, a lot of the problems that people have mentioned about the industry, that there's like too many things in production, that the way that things are done is that there are too many shows put in their vent- into production, not all of them profit. And this just creates like a glut of overworked animators and not enough resources and reducing the quality of the shows and all that. But basically, on the side of, you know, what the streaming sites do, Justin Savox's response to Digi's video basically puts to rest the idea that the that Crunchyroll doesn't do enough to support paying for productions. Because again, oftentimes Crunchyroll is paying for the cost of entire production. But basically, this is also what I wanted to run off from this is like applying this to manga uh, licensing and like the uh, the idea of like a 
how to support manga more efficiently. And I feel like we don't have like something quite equivalent to Crunchyroll for manga, but like the way I see it, like digital sales from what you know what we know does do a lot to support back to the industry. And this is all, of course, you know, this whole complaint of this whole you know, excuse to bag on Crunchyroll as a way to rely on piracy and not pay for products because, oh, by supporting and if this thing, I'm not giving enough back to creators, so what's the point? But obviously it's very important because the revenue generated by legal services like this, again, contribute a lot of income back to Japan and back to creators. And so I just wanted to have a dialogue, I guess, about, like, what would be the most... What changes could... Are there changes that could be made to the system? Or, like, what could we do for manga that, you know, could have, like, something... Like, what Crunchyroll is doing in terms of these advanced payments or whatever. I'm not really sure, like, the direction where to go with this or, like, how... What the... Where to take this topic right now? Because unfortunately, like I don't, I, I this is something that requires research on my end. It requires like we should talk to ex- some experts about this uh, who you know know the industry very well. But like I just thought it was an interesting discussion that was happening that I want to see where we can apply to the manga industry in the future and future discussions. Though I will also call out Digibro for uh, one comment he made in one of his videos where he said that One Piece is so big that sales of Shonen Jump are enough to support Ichiro Oda and Shueisha, which are like just through Jump sales alone, which is obviously not true. There's no way a series could just be successful and uh, support itself through the sales of Jump alone. You know, you know they rely on the print volume sales being successful that's insanely important like the individual series needs to be successful through the print volumes like that's a that's the measure of the success like jump sales aren't enough to like help support the creator and also obviously you know having a successful anime and all sorts of merchandising products are important to helping the creator like even creators that have a successful manga and that has franchising and merchandise and stuff even they can struggle to like make ends meet so it is important to have like multiple sources of income it is important to have like physical products for people to buy so and to show back support for their work like uh, a big thing related to discussion is this whole idea of Patreon services where you directly support artists and whether that is a sustainable way to support productions. But obviously, with the sheer numbers involved, like this, it, it cannot support an entire anime production or a studio's output. Or could it support, you know, a mangaka by themselves? Like, we know that there are some mangaka who have their own Patreons. Uh, we discussed one a long time ago who set up his own Patreon, and if you subscribe to the Patreon, uh, you would get, like, an English translation of his manga. I believe the manga was called Jean, but I forget the mangaka's name. So there are some mangaka who have set up their own Patreons, but I don't think that's their only source of income. Like I rem- that guy's Patreon, that mangaka's Patreon, is at the. I remember for a long time it was not even a hundred dollars; it was less than that. So, you know, it is important to have like other sources of income. Like it can be a nice bonus. It can be a nice like on top to like the income that you know uh, creators are receiving through the uh, through like other means through this current system but like direct fan to creator support does not seem viable right now so i guess that's like the main thing i was was very interested in from this debate when it came into can we support creators directly just fan to creator will that work for the manga industry and i don't think that will work you know as a sustainable way to support the industry i think that like the having physical products and merchandise and all that stuff is an important means for creators to you know support themselves so like the whole direct support system just it works for like internet personalities or like smaller artists but 
on a large on a large scale for large productions which involve multiple people, it's just not viable and sustainable. So that's kind of the the interesting thing I wanted to take away from it. But you know, it's a it's a complex topic uh, with multiple sides. Some arguments are more valid than others. I feel, uh, but. You know, it's an ongoing discussion of like, what are the best ways to support artists and creators? And can we get away from systems that might not be efficient or all that? So it's it's very, it's important to have discussions like this just to kind of throw ideas out there and figure out, okay, what's working now? Why is it working? And how would we feasibly and realistically change things? Like how, how does this idea of direct fan support that we're seeing from things like Patreon, how could that become like a viable means of support? So it's something to consider at the very least to to think about and discuss. But that is about all I have to say on the topic for now. Perhaps it's something we could come back to in the future. It definitely is a subject worth further discussion i think but i think that does it for news for this episode and this episode of manga mavericks in general yeah hey a less than 90 minute episode i can't believe we did it yeah uh but uh hopefully next time we'll uh we'll we'll have a topic ready um i i think i think we should just wait until next episode to let people know what we're doing because every again i feel like every time we we make a plan on the show like this like something gets in the way where it falls apart <laughs> Well, not 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 every time, but sometimes. Yeah, the, we have a lot of things that we have planned, but it's all a matter of getting them f- arranged and finished. Uh, time is a big issue, but rest assured, we do have some exciting plans, and uh, we think you guys will really enjoy what we have in store. Yeah. Um. But I guess uh, I guess that's it for the episode then, and we can start plugging our stuff. So, uh, Sid, where can the good people find you? You can find me at Lumramiyasha on Twitter, Animation Revelation, Annie List, wherever there's a Lumramiyasha, I am there under that name. You can also read my reviews on all-comic.com. I do monthly reviews of Dragon Ball Super Chapters, as well as other miscellaneous reviews for the site. All right. And as for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323, as well as uh, listen to my other podcasts, such as Life Lessons, the Gintama Manga Cast over at GintalifeLessons.wordpress.com, as well as One Podcast Prevails, a podcast about Detective Conan slash Case Closed that I record with my friend Doctor over at the Ask Backwards Anime Podcast. Again, you can find that at OnePodcastPrevails.com. And uh, I guess as for all comic and manga mavericks, uh, you can find every episode of manga mavericks first over at all-comic.com. And uh, you can also follow all comic on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash all comic underscore. But if you want to follow manga mavericks specifically, uh, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks. That's where we post updates on every episode as well as uh, mangamavericks.tumblr.com. And you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel over at youtube.com slash mavericks, which uh, I think right be- like way before we put up our Bakuman episode, we finally got up to 200 subscribers. Yeah, and uh, we have a live stream that we'll be doing hopefully this month on the MHA anime versus manga. It'll be the return of manga fights. Looking forward to that. Just need to find a time and people to do it so look forward to that coming in the next couple of weeks yeah so if you want uh if you want to listen to certain excerpts of our show um i know uh sid actually uh put up a few of our news pieces from the previous episode uh before we put it up so uh good on mm-hmm. you for doing that sid so yep uh but speaking of news pieces there was a uh, breaking news that just happened that i think we should just mention is that uh momiji no kisetsu has also ended in Shonen Jump uh, on Monday's issue. So there you go. Boat of uh, that, that another Shonen Jump series has concluded that uh, was short-lived. Uh, that, that's unfortunate. Um, but uh, I, 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 I hate to just completely like move on from that. But uh, yeah, yeah, I figured we might as well mention it now instead of waiting yeah another two weeks um but uh yeah anyway you can uh, subscribe to our youtube channel again that's youtube.com slash manga mavericks for uh excerpts of our podcast such as different news pieces we talk about and our our uh 
retrospectives and discussions. Um, I'm sure the Bakuman up, uh, the Bakuman one will be up at some point. Um, and, uh, you know, if you have any thoughts on any of the news pieces we talked about this episode, or maybe you just want to tell us what you're reading, um, send us, email us anything about the podcast, whatever you're reading, and we'll read it on the show. You can send us those over at mangamavericks.gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever you call it. Uh, that really helps the visibility of our show. So please do that if you um, if you so wish to. But, uh, yeah, that's going to be about it for the episode. Uh, this was episode 58 of the podcast, and we will see you guys next time for episode 59. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.